0: seen in terms of um, the 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 leaders and the citizens of of the north and the midlands having greater voice in our public policy making and it's important because it matters for our economic outcomes and economic and social outcomes not again not just in in uh, the blue wall areas but for the uk as a whole and that's the approach that um, the center for progressive policy really holds that leveling up or inclusive growth as we Call it, really matters um, because it's about how we drive productivity and how we create shared prosperity for the whole of the UK. And we think the levelling up agenda is as, is as much of an key part of that um, uh, as anything. And so today, just really looking forward to having a, a full discussion um, with you uh, through the Q&A function and um, with our panellists. Um, Joe Gideon, who's MP for Stoke-on-Trent, Nicola Richards, who's MP for West Bromwich East, Kenny Beaver, who's Managing Director of Ipsos Mori Social Research, at the Social Research Institute. And um, our discussion will be ably chaired by David Collins, who's Northern correspondent for the Sunday Times. David's been covering covering Northern powerhouse issues um, for years now and so we'll be just the person to um convene our conversation and um uh, before i hand over to him just one more note we are tweeting at center for progressive policy at center pro Pol- hashtag cpp level up so please join in the debate online thanks to you david
1: oh. day in manchester unfortunately um, we've got some brilliant panellists here today to discuss what I think is the most important issue this country faces today. How do we level up the regions? What is happening to the government's levelling up agenda? Is Westminster listening? And mo- the most important question of all, how do we make things better for people living in the regions? Um, I've been the Sunday Times Northern Correspondent for the last three and a half years. I grew up in St Helens in Merseyside and now live in Manchester. Um, uh, I reported on the northern Powerhouse movement um, when Theresa May was still in power, um, I watched as things uh, moved on to the levelling up agenda uh, with great interest and uh, I saw some more energy uh, put in, uh, but in some ways uh, there, are, there is concern that uh, some things haven't changed. Um, The North and the Midlands are lagging behind the capital uh, in a number of important uh, factors, from business investment to education to health and transport. There is, in my view, an unmistakable divide in this country, which has been recognised uh, by Boris Johnson's Conservative Party and his government. This divide seems even more stark uh, as the Covid pandemic currently hits the regions the hardest. Liverpool's hospitals are full. Uh, the cases are rising in Greater Manchester and the Labour Mayor's stance against the government and its perceived unfair treatment of the North appears to be cutting through. Um, Is Boris losing the argument in the North and the Midlands? Has the levelling up agenda been derailed by Covid or are we somehow missing all the great work being done by the Conservative Party? As to be fair the media does have a tendency to focus rather on the negative Um, So to explain all that, we'll be hearing from our uh, Redwall MPs, panel of political and policy experts and taking questions from our audience and questions from me as well. Um, So first we'll go to uh, Kelly, uh, Kelly Beaver, who is Managing Director for uh, Ipsos Mori uh, Social Research Institute. Her team, I believe, helps explain government policy, uh, public opinion to her business clients. So Kelly.
2: Thanks very much, David. It's great to be here and talking to you all about what has been happening with public opinion and public opinion specifically in relation to the red now blue wall um, and the importance of levelling up. So we've been tracking at Ipsos Mori public opinion for over 50 years. Public opinion on what they think the greatest issues facing our country are. And right up until the point at which that red wall turned blue, the concern was largely around Brexit. You'll all remember the back end of last year when Brexit was top of the public agenda, followed by the NHS, of course, which has always been something that our public are, are concerned about. But when March happened and the black swan event of COVID happened, Things shifted quite dramatically, and we have been tracking highest level of public concern around COVID uh, that we've that we've ever seen. It is the top issue, bigger than any issue that we've seen in the past. Below that, now we see Brexit rising up. And what's key and different and has been for some time between those northern constituencies and the concerns we see there versus those in the southern parts of the of, of England, it's really around the economy and unemployment. And those those issues have always been tracking higher in the north of England and and lower in the south. But actually, as a result of COVID, we are seeing that uh, exasperated. And so economic distress is really rising in areas where the Conservative manifesto pledged to level up. Things like jobless claim rates surpassing the Great British average uh, in many of those new blue seats. And we know that in areas like Redcar, Burnley, Hayward, West Bromwich East, Northwest Durham, that the economic impacts have been hitting uh, quite hard. Leveling up was always going to be a significant ask, but it has been exasperated now by the effects of COVID-19. COVID has done some things that we we know will be around for the longer term and others which we're not quite sure whether whether they will continue beyond the next couple of years. But what it has clearly done is laid bare some of the real societal challenges that we face that we have always known existed, but couldn't see them as clearly as we can today. So one of those being the fragility of our public services but the other is clearly the inequalities in our society which includes and really drives home the importance of this leveling up agenda as david mentioned that some of the northern areas have been hit uh, particularly hard by covid not just by health uh, from a health perspective and from hospitals filling up prevalence rates rising our rates rising quicker than they did in the south but also economic impacts um, but it is not just the, the levelling up in the north-south divide that has been exasperated and really had a spotlight shone on it. Other parts of our structure and in the inequalities around uh, race inequalities and also those higher income uh, individuals versus those sort of poorer household key worker households, where we've seen COVID really exasperate and shine a spotlight on some of those inequalities too. But back to the north-south divide. And when we talk about levelling up, there is a question about whether that is still top of the public mind. Are they still thinking about it? Is it still a concern? Actually, we've spoken to businesses about this as part of our Captains of Industry work over the last, well, between March and July of this year, really. And when we talk about the North and the Midlands, we need to be really clear that we're not talking about a homogeneous unit that operates independently of the rest of the UK. And businesses recognise that sort of nine in 10 of our captains of industry say that a northern powerhouse will be really important in achieving a strong British economy. And they're telling us this not pre-COVID, but during the COVID pandemic. Uh, They understand the importance of a flatter economic geography where we don't always see a big peak in London and the north always trying to catch up eight and 10 of those captains of industry, again, these are the top firms uh, in the UK, are telling us the government should focus on investing in the regions, such as the North of England, because growing those areas and reducing inequalities will be good for all of the UK. And this is compared to business leaders that tell us invest more in London, it's only two in 10 who believe that's the case. So businesses can see the importance of leveling up and investing in the North uh, and and the Midlands. And that's really important for them because they see it as a good uh, mechanism around cost efficiencies, but also the skills and the workforce that's available and actually interesting infrastructure comes up as a benefit of the North as well, which is something I want to come to next because Often when the public hear about leveling up and investment in the North and Midlands areas, what they think is investment in infrastructure, actually, and that has been a a core part of the manifesto commitments and a, a core part of how leveling up was proposed to be delivered, so there's clearly continues to be a perception that the north of England has been disadvantaged when it comes to the fair share of investment around infrastructure and we know that infrastructure is an issue that the British people feel passionately about two thirds of them think we're not investing enough in our infrastructure and they expect That government will use infrastructure as a mechanism to build back better after covid so again seven and ten tell us that that's important and they want to see government make that investment but it's not just in the public minds around infrastructure by way of rail and transport infrastructure Uh, they're thinking also about green infrastructure and green economy type infrastructure investments too which i'll come to in a second but firstly i just wanted to say the public one of the key parts of the infrastructure investment plan was around this digital infrastructure investment and broadband, super fast broadband, etc. And whilst that is important for perhaps politicians and those who recognize how best to invest in particular areas, the public don't have that as high up their agenda, though it may be changing as a result of this online and push to online shift that we've seen through the COVID pandemic. But then back to the green economy. So this again was clearly lined up to be one of the key planks of the leveling up agenda. And how that turns out post-COVID is really critical for the political success of those red now blue wall uh, MPs. So the public do want to still see a green recovery. And this was something that we thought may start to peter out as a result of the pandemic where we're all wearing plastic masks, gloves, traveling in our own cars rather than public transport, etc. But there is still this uh, demand and urgency from the public to focus on the issues around climate change and green recovery. Six in 10 British people want to see a green recovery from the pandemic, and two thirds of them believe that the climate change crisis is as serious as this COVID-19 pandemic that we're facing today. And the north has significant opportunities around the green economy and attributes that can be harnessed further and i'm sure we'll hear about some of this from. uh, The the red now blue wall MPs that will be speaking shortly and it's going to be really important for the north and the midlands to. focus on attracting young talented professionals and really have that in their armory against the London pool to retrain and attack some of that talent, in particular, to help support growth in the green economy things like offshore wind energy carbon capture nuclear hydrogen. All of those are areas where the North has key strengths. So I'll just finish up with three key points. Firstly, the promises from the manifesto around levelling up are still really important, and they're still really important to businesses and to people in in the north of England, even more so given the impacts of the pandemic. But there is added complexity now. We have an increasing burden on our public finances as a result of what's had to be done to, to support against the pandemic negative effects individual finances are uh, certainly of concern to the general public we see economic optimism at a very, really, really low level unemployment is rising and so the challenge is even greater in being able to focus investment into those areas as part of that that manifesto commitment but businesses and people still think it's the right thing to do and le- second point leveling up in the north and the midlands is not going to be the government's only challenge because leveling up will end up being a much broader issue we have we have particular areas in the UK that have been hit very hard by this pandemic that are not necessarily just in the north, there are areas that relied on key sectors like airlines for jobs and for income and livelihoods and those areas will also need substantive reinvestment uh, post the pandemic and, and that's really important but also The inequalities that have been laid bare, they're not just geographical, there are also race inequalities, there are also, there are age inequalities, gender inequalities, all sorts that's been laid bare as a result of this pandemic. And then thirdly, and my final point, there is a bit of a job to do around having um, public trust in the delivery as well. Unfortunately, not just for the UK government, but for many governing parties around the world the pandemic has eroded public trust in uh, politicians further than it had. It was already very low, but it has eroded it further. And there is this challenge around delivering within a trusted environment. And competency of delivery affects public trust. Um, And so there's a real uh, important aspect there to really consider how can we rebuild public trust in our ability to deliver against agendas like the leveling up agenda. Um, And where power sits and how decisions are taken and where decisions are taken is clearly a key part of that and i'll just leave it there.
1: Oh, Can you hear me. Thanks, Kelly. That was brilliant. Um, some really important points there. I think um, uh, you know one thing that is often lost, I think, by reporting, uh, particularly from London's media, is the idea that the North isn't one huge blob that is exactly the same of the same issues. That um, you know the issues of Harrogate are not the issues of Tameside. Uh, you know the issues of um, Stoke-on-Trent are not the issues of, of, of West Bromwich so I think that is important and also I think the point on the uh, nervousness around unemployment is, is a big thing that I'm picking up on um, on the ground that um, you know which has caused particular anxiety with the government's finance package and, and the furlough scheme and how much of their uh, pay packet will be covered um, so those, those things have really uh, cut through. Um, and also that inequality isn't just geographical. Um, so, thank you, Kelly. That was brilliant. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, to Joe, Joe Gideon MP. Uh, Joe is the Stoke-on MP for Stoke-on Trent Central. Um, she was elected uh, in the last election on a pledge to level up uh, historically underfunded uh, regions. Uh, her majority is 600, 670, which um, I'm sure she's keenly aware of a um, uh, very Labour area. I, don't, I think it's fair to say, um, typically, returns a Labour MP. Uh, so Joe got in on the last election, um, and uh, she is her, her business. Uh, she has a business background as an import and wholesaler. So uh, Joe, I'll I'll move over to you.
3: Thank you very much. I'd just like to say I'm absolutely delighted to be on the panel today. Leveling up is my, is my favourite topic, um, and uh, it's probably the most important topic that we could be talking about. Um, nobody can doubt that areas like Stoke on Trent are deserving of investment. It's true, bef- it was true before the pandemic, and, and it has to be doubly so afterwards. Coronavirus has hit those communities hardest uh, where there are underlying health issues, and health inequalities are very visible in my city and the point was made earlier that, that actually uh, levelling up looks different in different parts of the country, we have different needs. Stoke-on-Trent is in a, in a strange position in that it's it's in the West Midlands but it's not in the Combined Authority and it's not in the Northern Powerhouse so it misses out quite often on funding pots uh, that go to either of those two uh, and, and that's why it feels particularly left behind. In recent months we, we've talked a lot about making hard choices and about the difficult decisions facing the government, the the tricky balance between saving lives and protecting livelihoods. And I think that this global health crisis has really shone a light onto some fundamental building blocks of our society. It's forced us to question what really matters, how our social structures operate and where government should prioritize investment in order to deliver on the leveling up agenda. As things stand, the the UK is the economically most imbalanced country in the industrialised world. Income before tax and benefits is now 70% higher in London than the rest of the UK, up from around 30% higher in 1997. And while I keep pressing government for investment in more and better jobs and in attracting oven ready schemes, such as the advanced ceramic campus, which builds on the proud heritage of our city, the pandemic has shown us that it's not always realistic or even sensible to expect government alone to solve every challenge. What is clear to see is that in these difficult times, what really matters to us is having a strong and resilient community network to rely on. Time and time again, these community networks have proved to be the most efficient way of delivering government funding to those who need it most. And so when we talk about levelling up to boost our economic recovery, we simply cannot focus on the investment in our physical infrastructure. We must also invest in our social infrastructure, in our community assets and our third sector to deliver economic recovery that works for absolutely everybody. Since my election in December last year, I've made the case that nurturing civic pride is an essential part of leveling up. The feeling that Stoke is on the up really motivates people more than anything else to play an active role in their community and that's why i wholeheartedly agree with the, the center for progressive policies recent article which argued that, that leveling up mustn't just be about economic growth and productivity improvements it has to be about tackling entrenched economic and social inequalities that hold people and places back in communities across the country but for me leveling up is not just about catching up with other parts of the country it's about aiming high it's about being bold it's about uh, pioneers, and it's about um, that anybody who um, who understands um, in Stoke-on-Trent that that there is a, a, a massive pride in the city, um, you know, despite the sort of left-behind status that we've been given, um, it, it's 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 a palpable love, uh, and um, the sense of, of place and belonging uh, is, is what binds communities. So in that sense, we are a really strong community. I think that the thing that that I noticed first when when I um, became the MP was also that there's a stoicism, which is um, a little counterproductive because it's kind of, um, well, it's always been like this. And so, you know, inevitably nothing's going to change. Um, And and so there's an acceptance of that status of being left behind. I think investing in social capital is key to remedying this disconnect, to, to appreciate the legitimate love and sense of pride of place, but also to understand the need to develop resilience and and, and economic security for our communities. We need to invest in social capital based on effectiveness rather than efficiency, on citizens rather than consumers, and on community capacity rather than service provision. This is already understood by many local organizations. um, For example, in North Staff's YMCA, who won the award for the best YMCA in the country, There's a there's a fantastic community asset and they they instill a culture where everybody understands that they have a talent and they uh, empower people to discover what their talent is. So leveling up is about investing in organizations like the YMCA who offer hope and who understand the importance of pride of place, whilst helping younger generations from the the so-called left behind communities to realize they may not have a future as a, as a miner or a steel worker, or even a potter in the same way that their parents and grandparents did. But they are instead able to develop the skills and the talent needed to work in the newer industries, such as tech, digital we've talked about, energy and advanced manufacturing. I think often the difficulty when discussing investment in social infrastructure and social capital is that it's not as straightforward or as clear as investment in physical infrastructure. And in many cases, I think we need to revisit our current funding models, particularly those that that favour areas with with greater bid writing capacity and models which set local groups up in competition with each other for funding. Uh, I I find that is never helpful when you're looking at a a community asset base. I think we need to ensure that we're investing in 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 a hybrid model of social support of community support which which incorporates government funding philanthropic donations and volunteer engagement this worked incredibly well during lockdown Um, and i think our challenge is going to be to sustain that form of collaborative working once we emerge from the pandemic um, because it will need a, a complete recalibration of our support mechanisms to make them sustainable And there's something else that that I think is really important. We touched on um, building back better and the green economy. So in Stoke-on-Trent, we have a a wide range of natural assets, uh, which which absolutely deserve to feature in its future. The waterways, which for many years were neglected and polluted, are now being restored through schemes such as the Staffordshire Wildlife Fund's Nature Recovery Network, or the excellent volunteers of the Canal and River Trust. but many in the community really are un, unaware of, of the asset, the River Trent and the canals that run right through the heart of the city. Environmental projects are vital to enabling a shift of perception in many parts of the city where people still view Stoke as, as a post-industrial wasteland to create that greener, cleaner and much healthier future which is full of opportunities for the next generation of young people. I think it's the time now to be brave if we want real change to find lasting solutions in areas of social inequality, we must be prepared to trust local champions, to grow the capacity of our communities and to invest in our social infrastructure.
1: Thank you, Joe. That was brilliant. Again, some really important points there. Um, I think um, one of the most critical points actually is that your area doesn't uh, come under the combined authority, so it doesn't get investment, which I know a lot of areas uh, across the North and Midlands also suffer from, uh, you know, Lancashire, Cheshire, their neighbours all have this extra funding investment, mm-hmm. which they miss out on because they don't have a devolution deal in place. And and why not? Uh, you know, they've had the years to get round to it. So um, and also the idea that government can't be expected to do to do everything. Um, you know, what is the role of private, the private sector in this? Um, I know in Greater Manchester they've had some success in social enterprises and getting businesses to invest in schemes that um, that the mayor's office has come up with, um, but there's not enough of it. So I think that that, that is a really important point as well. Um, just to remind everybody uh, we're, uh, to ask questions, do please, if you're watching this, ask questions via the, the Q&A chat function. Um uh, we've got them here now to talk to us to answer our questions. So do it. Do please uh, ask the questions while we have them here. Um, we're going to move on now uh, to Nicola Richards. Uh, so uh, Nicola Richards, yeah, MP for West Bromwich East. Um, uh, she was uh, first elected at the last general election, uh, uh, like Joe. Uh, she has a majority of 1,593, according to my uh, Google searches. Um, and again, quite a late Labour area, usually returns a, a Labour MP, I think it's fair to say. And uh, uh, Nicola is a staunch supporter of the government's levelling up agenda. So over to you, Nicola.
4: Thank you. Um, So I'd like to just start off by saying that I completely agree with Jo when she said that feeling like your area is on the up is the most inspiring feeling for for an area. And collectively in the West Midlands, we've been feeling that way for a while, thanks to devolution um, and, and having a really good mayor that understands the region. Um, And, you know, it's it's been really good to have a good starting point for us new MPs to come in and and build on with him. Um, But, you know, West Bromwich East has some some really deep rooted issues um, and it's and some really big challenges. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to stand in this seat. Having grown up in the black country, I wanted to, you know, play a part in 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 trying to change things. Um, but despite the black country driving the industrial revolution, Samwell is now the 12th most deprived borough in the country. Um, Net annual household incomes are £7,000 lower than the English average, and adults in Samwell are 9% more likely to be claiming universal credit than those living in other areas. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what's already happening um, in West Bromwich. Um, and we've seen lots of money come in to rejuvenate our town centres um, from, um, from the mayor um, before the um, extra money that has been given by um, central government, by Robert Jemrick, and we're bidding for £25, 000, 25 million pounds, um, at the moment to continue with this, with this work. Um, but I think, you know, when we, when we look at this money and what it's doing in terms of um, regeneration of our town centres and the physical infrastructure, Um, in the area I think we have to look even deeper than that and recently it's been a real kind of wake-up call for me in particular in West Bromwich because you know a couple of weeks ago we're celebrating a 1970s um, car park being pulled down um, which is a complete eyesore and you know we're going to hopefully have some new housing there Um, and at the same time we have young children 15 year olds with machetes in the town centre threatening Um, retail staff fireworks being thrown at police officers and students Um, and it just really shows some of the major issues we have in terms of aspiration um, education outcomes you know what is it that's leading people in the area and not everyone it's a a small amount of people Um, but what is making this happen and you know we can we can invest this money into our town centre and make it the most wonderful place to go but if someone doesn't feel safe there then you know it's not it's not good enough so I think that's a really good indicator of some of the, the problems that that we we have and it's not just about the physical infrastructure in our, our town centers and transport although it plays a really big part in showing you know being evidence physical evidence that we are investing in, and the area is changing um, but I think, you know, we can't shy away from these challenges and pretend they don't exist. And, and that's why, you know, the levelling up agenda is something that I wanted to get behind and I'm, I'm really proud we're doing. Um, you know, COVID has exposed some of our structural weaknesses. Um, we could never have planned for a, a full for, a shutdown of major swathes of the economy. Um, and I think it's just, you know, important to note that some of these issues like unemployment, Although it's going up in in West Bromwich, it is it's been high for years. This isn't a new problem for us. And um, one of the most inspiring things um, that I like to do is go into the job centre in West Bromwich, which are fantastic. The staff there are incredible, and the work coaches we have are. I, I really think it it transforms the work of the DWP um, because having someone there to walk through the journey of, of someone with training, finding them a job that suits them, um, and what making them want to stay there, that's so important. And I think, you know, the whole the whole outlook on what job centres are providing has completely changed in the last few years. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, it's a good indicator that we can, we, we know what to do to get over this. But obviously that relies on jobs being available and that is um, a major concern but again that isn't a new issue in in the West Midlands you know we're traditionally um, have a lot of manufacturing businesses um, and while they've been very well supported by the government and I know they're also grateful for the furlough scheme and the loans that they've been able to access I've been really disappointed by locally the amount of energy that goes into investing um, in to attracting this new investment um, which creates jobs and local opportunities for young people um, and i think you know that if there's only so much a member of parliament can do to to try and change that but that is that's the kind of area that i represent that has been represented by one party for a very long time and needs an injection of some aspiration and and change so some of the things that i've been working on for the last Um, few months before COVID actually we were focusing on health inequalities because I was really struck by data after meeting health bosses in the in the area about how Um, our high levels of childhood obesity in the West Midlands and black country in particular has such a major impact on the child's life and their, their their whole life. Um, It causes major issues with self-esteem, which has direct impacts on how well they do um, in their education and then the rest of their, their career. Um, And that's just, that's just one element of one of the problems that we face, but COVID has really shone a light on this actually high levels of diabetes in, in the West Midlands in the black country in particular too so there are there are lots of um, social issues and I know there's you know it's always amazing to go into a local school in particular I've got one called U3 primary School fantastic and they're so driven to try and change. Um, the way that families live and they you know I know they want a farm on their in their school um, to, to show you know young children where food comes from and how to eat healthier um, and there's local initiatives like that but we have to you know we have to take all of this into consideration when we're talking about leveling up it has to be about health um, as well because it has such an impact on everything else that we do I'll leave it there thank you
1: Thank you so much Nicola that was that was brilliant it's real on the forensic on the on the ground info there um, um and awful to hear about the problems of Samwell and, and problems of antisocial behaviour as well I think uh, the police in the northwest actually just released a letter um uh talking about the lockdown on Thursday saying that they, they're anticipating and um, high enforcement levels and um think this is a this is a big problem uh, in 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 the red wall and in the north and in the regions where um, young people feel like they don't have the opportunities perhaps that uh, people in in London might have and what is the government uh, doing to to increase those opportunities um we're gonna go now to uh, to our interact interactive chat uh, phase where we're all going to talk about uh, all all the uh, issues of of the regions and leveling up uh, we've got some lots of questions out coming in um i'm going to start just with a very broad one something that i'm interested in which is the uh, nrg it's a northern research group that have just been formed um jake berry's uh, taking the, the lead on that and they put out a letter last week and um, uh that was really put in a bit of pressure. I, I felt on on Boris Johnson that uh, that the Leveling Up agenda cannot be forgotten during this uh, pandemic, and that it has to stay at the top of the government's priorities. Um, where do we all stand on the NRG? What should it be doing, and uh, and do we support it? Uh, in the case of uh, of our MPs here. Um, I'd like to first go to 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 Joe to see what our thoughts are on the NRG.
3: Yeah so so I was I was invited to sign the letter and and I didn't um, because I felt that Stoke-on-Trent is very clearly in the West Midlands and and the NRG is very clearly a, a you know a kind of northern powerhouse and northern MPs based organisation and I do think I do think that we have a a slight challenge when we define, uh, we, we talked about it earlier, levelling up as a north-south divide thing or, as you know, because there are clearly pockets of deprivation in every part of the country. I mean, I moved up from, from Thanet in East Kent and the levels of deprivation there are as great as 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 in parts of Stoke. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we need to address levelling up much less as a geographical thing and much more as a, uh, a fairness and equality of um, across our whole society. So, so from that point of view, I'm 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 to be part of kind of regional um, power pressure groups. I suppose.
1: And Nicola, what about you? Would you Would you guys like to see a, a kind of a, a? Well, I think Joe's answered it, but a a a Midlands research group, for example. Do you think these things are helpful?
4: So like Joe, I didn't sign the letter um, because West Bromwich East is not in the north and it annoys me when people say it is. I'm not from the north. I'm from the Midlands. <laughs> and very specifically the West Midlands, all the black country to be even more specific. Um, I think, you know, the, again, to to go back to the fact that we've got devolution in our part of the West Midlands and it doesn't cover Stoke-on-Trent. Um we've already kind of formed, um, groups, um, of MPs, um, in, in areas. And I, I even think, you know, we've got a really good team in the West Midlands. Um, but even more specific to that, we have a really good team in the black country. Um, and I suppose it, we don't really need, um, a pressure group to organize us in that way. Um, it is what I'd say. Um, but it is important that, you know, collectively we have a voice, but we, we have a, a different benefit to, to Joe, and that is that we have um, we have a West Midlands mayor that helps us with that voice and kind of brings us together. Um, but yeah, that is why I didn't sign the letter. Not that I didn't agree with what they were saying, but it is just not, um, even if it parts of it are relevant,
3: I don't want to, I'm not, you know, West Bromwich East isn't in the North. Can, can I just come back on that quickly? Because um, people who've, who've seen us in Parliament will know that there is a, a Stoke gang of three. Um, so, so we do hunt as a pack when it comes to trying to it's get nice. for, for Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> um, and when it's a question of, of transport links, then we work with uh, North Staffordshire MPs. So it's where there's a specific reason why you need to, then absolutely we need to, to you know, join up to, to get what we need.
1: So, Kelly and Charlotte, what, just, just, just quickly on the NLG. What, how, how, Kelly, how does it, how, how do you see that playing out in, uh, in, in parliament? Do you think, you know, can you see them, for example, voting in blocks like we saw with the, with the European research group? Do you think that, you know, they're gonna- uh, From a, a public gonna, perspective,
2: the, the public have little recognition of groups like this. So if I was to put a list together of who they think the key actors are, the key individuals who could make a difference for them and their region, The public recognition of that group would be relatively low, Um, public recognition of mayors like Andy Burnham would be relatively high Um, and who they think is speaking on their behalf. um, More more likely to be an MP or a mayoral candidate, certainly than a research group of sorts, so I'm not one to comment I think best Joe and Nicola on. the 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 suitableness of that group and the how how supportive or useful it is as a group Uh, i think they've already commented on that but from a public recognition perspective and a public hope and who's speaking for me and who's my voice um that that group probably would have very low recognition if i was to pull on it today charlotte any thoughts nlg
0: yeah i would just say i think the fact that it was formed probably speaks to a concern that leveling off is dropping off the political agenda and i think it's um, I think it's quite a symbolic gesture on the part of Jake Berry, both personally from his personal p- political ambitions, um, but also from um, a kind of wider cohort of no- Northern MPs who feel that you know there's a risk um, either in either in Andy Burnham kind of stealing some uh, political thunder, um, and given that he's um, a Labour a, a Labour affiliated mayor and former. Um, Labour Secretary of State, you can see a bit of the politics there, but I think, um, I think the factionalism of pushing forward the levelling up agenda isn't necessarily um, ideal, um, but I think actually the leverage that the NRG could potentially play in the short term might just keep um, Boris Johnson and Number 10 honest about the level of commitment that they they, they could and must um, Put into um, levelling up so that we don't lose sight of it at the moment when we're entering a new national lockdown.
1: Sure, so useful for that, that bit of pressure. Um, just another another question from me and then we'll go to some of the uh, Q&A uh, questions from our audience. Do please keep asking, uh, there's plenty of time left. Um, devolution, uh, a lot of people highlight devolution as really the way to level up, You know, devolve power evolved money uh, into the hands of local leaders like Andy Street, who, who, who's made headway in the West Midlands and is, I think, listened to, actually, by government. Um, I don't know whether that's because he's a Conservative, but... Um, um, I guess the concern is that a lot of the government's kind of agenda and what has been discussed in Parliament is, is the pandemic. Um, we had a white paper um, on devolution... Uh, which I think has been kicked back to next year. Um, How important is devolution? Um, What would you like to see in terms of uh, powers to your local areas, which Whitehall and Westminster currently have? What would you like to see? Uh, And also, do you think that the stance that Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham Perhaps has taken in the last few weeks against government. Could that have put the government off? Perhaps uh, the 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 case for devolution and really pushing forward devolution as we go forward. Um, uh, Nicola, do you want to you want to start on that?
4: Thank you. Um, so I'll start with the first bit, the first question first. Um, I don't think um, you know. what has happened with Andy Burnham over the last few weeks will have an impact um, because just looking at areas like the West Midlands it really shows how successful devolution can be. Um, I quite often say that Andy Street created levelling up before it was cool Um, but that really is the case that he has been driving investment into the right place for a really long time. Um, You know far before the, the last general election. Um, and it has made it really clear to see what is a successful what, what is successful, how we how we drive investment. You know, the, the money that he's invested in clearing up derelict brownfield sites, which not only improves the look of an area but then clears the way for housing and, and business. Um, instead of you know building on uh, very few green spaces he, he's kind of started off all of these streams of work that we can carry on and it just you know having someone there that understands the area and understands the complexities of, of each community is really really key um, to levelling up because like joe was saying the problem with having a kind of regional um a regional group and and trying to you know generalize the issues in north and south or or even just the midlands is it completely ignores some of the really um kind of nitty gritty issues that that create some of the problems we're trying to address um, so I, I i think without banging on too much about how great i think andy's being <laughs> um it's it's, it's just really important to have, have that local knowledge. But I would say, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people perhaps not um, enthusiastic about the role of police and crime commissioners, and particularly in the West Midlands at the moment, I'm not entirely happy. Um, and I think, to me, the only difference that we should have um, devolution-wise is for police and crime commissioners to be combined with mayors everywhere, um, because some of the work that the mayor is already doing around Um, young people and his mayor's mentor scheme which is fantastic where you've got you've got people in all kind of walks of life and all in all kind of um, jobs and careers advising young people in the West Midlands how to get on in their life to connect that with the kind of you know tackling youth violence and crime I think would be even more successful and given him that power could create something really good and I think that's you know something that Areas like West Bromwiches could really benefit from. So that's my only kind of um, caveat on on devolution.
1: Thanks, Nicola. Just a quick, just a quick one before I goes to Joe. Do you think uh, Do you think Andy Street should have been on Cobra during you know as 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 mayor of, of of your region? Your region might have had a bigger voice and a say if he was sitting on Cobra during this pandemic.
4: Well, I think it's important to always know that Cobra literally just stands for the meeting room, and many high level meetings will have gone on um and he will have had meetings with um with various people. I know that he is always in contact with the Secretary of State for health, so I think um focusing on just one name of one meeting is doesn't show the full range of um conversations that he's involved in, and many other leaders will have been involved in
1: sure uh, Joe um just the the same question really on on devolution um your area doesn't have it currently you were saying that you know you, you you need that money that 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 comes with devolution um do you think has devolution been kicked into the long grass a little bit by the pandemic um uh you know would you like to see devolution deals sped up um what, what is going on with your devolution deal, even?
3: I know, so if I can speak from a, a purely Staffordshire point of view, Staffordshire had a mayor and it didn't work and they don't want another one. So it's quite simple that that um, I suppose um, there was a, a sense of relief that, that you know, it, it has, has been pushed back a little bit. The challenge, I think, for us is that um, it, it's that sense of a very core identity of a city surrounded by... Very rural seats, um, and and a sense that if there is a, a you know some to 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 me devolution is about devolving down to the lowest level, and the lowest level is essentially community based. So so I very much am um interested in seeing solutions that that um, tackle the levelling up at a at a community based level. Now I'm not sure that um, in Staffordshire certainly having a a mayor. Uh, for the whole county would would help in that in that particular uh, desire so um, for that I think that, that we need to look at a different structure but you know far be it from me to um, to define what what that might be but it's, it's it's about one size fits all just doesn't work in all parts of the country.
1: Sure that's a really, that's a really good point and it's interesting in the uh... Liverpool is quite a varied um, area for devolution, you know, the problems of St Helens are not the issues of Liverpool and it's interesting how Steve Rotherham has that challenge of kind of a broad brush, um, uh, you know, policy over, over what works for, for all those areas. Uh, Charlotte, um, devolution, is, is the government, is it still on the agenda, do you think, in the way it should be?
0: Well, we've seen the devolution white paper get sort of kicked into the long grass. I mean, and this was an initiative that was actually in Theresa May's first um, election manifesto back in uh, 2017. So it's it's forever promised and has not yet been delivered. Um, But um, I think that's only symbolic of kind of the stalling around devolution that we've seen in recent years. Um, And, you know, whilst... um, people on the panel have talked really enthusiastically about what devolution has brought i mean i'm sure andy street andy burnham and others would you know be welcoming a whole set of additional powers that would enable them to respond to covid economic recovery and a whole host of other things as well so we really need to get back on thinking about you know how we can make our governance arrangement work for people and places across the UK, across England in particular, Um, but kind of capital D devolution to the nations is a highly sensitive issue at the moment. And small D devolution to places across England is also highly politically sensitive at the moment. And I don't think the UK government has figured out how best to navigate um, some of those um, tensions and issues, but the one thing that has become clear over the recent weeks is that it's got to, um, it's, it's got to think differently and move very quickly, I would say, on um, creating um, l- local political and economic t- uh, institutions that work, um, and, you know, track and trace is a case in point. Sure.
1: No, I I completely agree. I think from a from a reporting perspective, after you know seeing the northern powerhouse uh, movement kind of uh, spotter a little bit and die under Theresa May, um, I guess that's one of the, the biggest fears with this is that it's part of the Conservative manifesto. We've had a pandemic and it's going to be sidelined again, um, which we all of course hope that that's not the case. Um, I'm going to bring in now uh, David Willett, um for uh, to ask. Uh, Ask a question. He is president of the Resolution Foundation. David, do you want to say a few words about uh, what your uh, um, what your group does and um, and
5: ask away. Yeah, thanks. Well, thank you for the opportunity to join. I really enjoyed hearing the contributions from Nicola and Joe. And incidentally, having been brought up in Birmingham, I do think one of the problems in this debate is the way it drifts into discussions of the North, when the Midlands have their own specific needs. I used to have these arguments endlessly with George Osborne saying that the Birmingham was the, like Chicago, it was a flyover state. He shouldn't always go to Manchester, You should stop off in Birmingham. And I think I think what uh, has been happening recently in the Midlands is very encouraging. Just three, three key points on policy, some of which we developed at Resolution Foundation, but these are my, my personal views as a Conservative in Parliament, in the Lord. I think, first of all, jobs. Several people have mentioned jobs. There's a very lively debate in government on this at the moment. To what extent are the sectors which are worst hit where young people are concentrated, going to come back post-virus, and to what extent are they permanently changed? I think leisure and hospitality will come back. Retail, physical retail shopping will not. And when we look at the sectors where there are the best growth prospects for the future, there are two that stand out. One is social care. And one of the problems with youth unemployment is young people keep on applying for jobs in the sectors that are hit, Social care is where there's the highest number of vacancies relative to applications. And the second is green jobs, which I think in the areas we're talking about means retrofitting the current housing stock to ensure it is more uh, energy efficient. That is labor intensive work. We should urgently get on with creating jobs and training programs in those areas. Secondly, very briefly, education and training. Uh, There's a lively debate between me and other advocates like David Goodhart who these are by and large, the left behind areas are areas where there are low levels of education participation. And although in my party there's a group of people who say too many people go to university, that is not the problem in these areas. More people need more educational opportunities. And one area where I would practically devolve, I would run an in a competitive innovation fund out of the DFE, inviting local colleges, universities, and councils to come together to pitch for extra funding for new education and training programs relative to their needs. And say explicitly, I'd be prioritizing the left behind areas and then thirdly and this is most tricky for for my party speaking as a conservative is tax i do think eventually at the end of this certainly not now we face such a big structural deficit that there are going to have to be tax increases and the treasury is already doing thinking about those the question will be which ones they are and my personal view is one of the features of the most affluent areas, as people said at the beginning, these are places where the assets, particularly housing, are worth so much. And when we look at what has happened to our economy, we've piled taxes on people at work and we've piled taxes on consumption. We have not particularly taxed property. I personally look and I don't like raising taxes. It'd be much better if we didn't have to do it. Insofar as increases in taxation are financed out of new ways of taxing assets and wealth, they will be more fair on the areas left behind where by and large assets have a lower value and will collect less from those areas if we stick with increasing taxes on income and consumption. So those, I think, are the kind of wider national policy issues which i hope complement the fantastic efforts that nicola and joe and
1: others are doing for their own individual constituencies thank you david uh, joe do you want to do you want to come in on some of those points uh that david just made um on, on on tax for example does that help uh would you say in in stoke if you uh based a new tax taxation around uh, property prices is that going to help your constituents
3: well, nobody would um, pay um, it in Stoke <laughs> so so um, house prices and 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 land values are so low that um, as I say from from the point of view of of uh, it costing people um, and they would benefit so uh, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't speak against that I did want to speak though about the the opportunities with new new jobs and new sectors that they that highlighted because um it, it's absolutely right so for instance we we've had uh the the, the very first um heat skills district heat skills academy open uh, a couple of years ago in, in stoke-on-trent and we have a, a district heat network so i'm very keen to see us being at the forefront of of the the, the green recovery um and i think that there's a, a lot of opportunity um for for jobs um in in that area um but Yes, I mean, he's also absolutely right that the some of the the sectors that are not going to come back as as strongly high streets have been suffering for for years, we know that, and so a a fundamental redesign of our of our high streets, not just uh, making them smaller and turning them into um, residential units, which the the new planning app will um, will help facilitate. Uh, We also need to look at um, broadband connectivity, because if you then um, decide that you're going to run a, a creative business rather than a high street shop in, in the centre of a town. You need your 5G or, you know, you need to, to be sure that it's coming sometime soon. So um, so we've been looking at, at the whole question of, of connectivity and um, um, Silicon Stoke is, is a, a buzzword around Westminster because we feel that that, that will enable young people to, to be able to train into the jobs of the future.
1: Yeah. So, Nick, Nicola, um, on on jobs in 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 uh, West Bromwich, uh, obviously you know hospitality is going to be really hit. Um, what is this, what is the solution there in West Bromwich? Do you think?
4: Um, so, in terms of in terms of retail, um, you know, it would be the same everywhere that it's been in decline for for a while and that's why the investment, the new investment going into our town centre isn't isn't about the traditional high street, it's about offering something different, about more housing which we really desperately need um, in, in the area and when you look at some of the things that are coming down the pipeline with HS2 for instance which will put Samwell, put West Bromwich about 45 minutes away from London which is incredible. Um, and that's all well and good but we need houses for people to live in and again property prices are really quite low um, in in parts of my constituency Um, but we also need jobs um, and and this is where you know there are there are some there are some exciting industries and things happening um, in in the area Um, but so much more needs to be done and I'm constantly meeting businesses that want to expand and create training opportunities um on a bigger site and the council just don't support them staying in the area which is just so frustrating for me and there's so little I can do about it but you know and um those are some of the challenges that that we face that first of all we have to attract business to the area and then we have to um secure it and keep them there and and overall that's not happening at the moment so i think somehow we need a change of attitude locally on a really local level to ensure that 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 can happen
1: thanks Ke- kelly just just quickly on the um on, on the point that david made on, on taxation do you think people are the general public thinking that far ahead do you think are they, are they thinking are they worried about what the taxes are going to be in the next few years or did he just want the furlough money now
2: well, so, uh, as you know, public public mood and, and concern does uh, change over time. And at the minute, c- the coronavirus and the unemployment and economic effects of that are riding high in public concern. But that's not to say that the British public are not devoid of an understanding that the money does have to come from somewhere. And we've recently conducted some work with the London School of Economics actually looking at public views toward taxation. Because, as I said earlier, We are acutely aware at this time of the lack of resilience of our own public services and the need to invest in those in the future. And the British public do support pay more tax to fund rather than to cut for public services. And as David mentioned, um wealth tax is actually the most popular tax it's always yes tax those earning slightly more than me or having slightly more income and slightly more wealth than me but it is the most popular tax when we talk to the public about increasing and funding more public services more more popular than things like council tax capital gains income or vat tax and um so that that is something that that the public are open to
1: Charlotte, on taxation, on taxation, I'm just fascinated by this point David made on could you base a, t- a tax around around property value. Um, obviously, that's not going to would make Boris too popular in Middle in- England necessarily, but um, do you think that's the way forward?
0: Well, I mean, I hate to say, but the, the Tories have been burnt by this before in the past, and I know in our audience we've got Caroline Socock, who can probably speak to that, Quite, quite well from a civil service perspective, but look, I mean, I think where are we in the electoral cycle? We're looking ahead to 2024. Conservative Party, we're rightly thinking, how do we find a way of both kind of shoring up the financial, the you know national finances off the back of the the high cost of COVID, whilst trying to kind of get the timing right so it's not so close to to the to the next election. Um, I think you know the from a policy perspective what David describes is you know sounds you know sensible but I think the politics of this are just going to be factious so I think actually um, Kelly's insight on where the the public might be willing to go um, from a national um, taxation basis is, um, is is most insightful and I think we should reopen the question the question of fiscal devolution and think about if we are kind of getting our political and economic institutions kind of fit for purpose, um, you know, sub-nationally, actually what tax raising powers might go with that so that people can at least see how their money is raised and reinvested locally.
1: I couldn't agree more on that point, actually, Charlotte. I think a big thing, certainly in Greater Manchester, the Northwest, is that people... Rightly or wrongly, perceive their taxes as going uh, down south and being spent in in London with schemes like Crossrail and things, and that is one thing the Labour mayors have, have positioned themselves really as creating this beast of Whitehall, um, which uh, you know has has um, has truth in it perhaps um, that we do see more investment per head in transport uh, in places like the South East than we do in the regions. Um, I'm just going to bring in, uh, I think we have Caroline Slowcock, who is uh, director of the Civil Exchange. Um, I believe I'm right in saying she'll correct me if I'm wrong. She was Margaret Thatcher's private secretary once upon a time. Um, uh, Caroline, would you uh, like to introduce yourself and and, uh, ask the panel what you wish?
6: Yes, um, yes, I was uh, um, a long time ago. I also worked uh, for for nine years in the Treasury and I invented the current public expenditure system, uh, believe it or not. So um, I've got many different perspectives on this. And my question to the panel is, what do you want government actually to do? And I just want to give my own kind of proposition, um, which you can agree with if you like, um, to make that simpler. I think there's a need for a very large investment in social infrastructure. And um, it's great to see Nicola and Joe uh, speaking very powerfully about the various dimensions of social infrastructure, the way in which it builds human capital, uh, it strengthens communities, the way in which it feeds into things like health, which has been so apparent uh, in the COVID crisis. And, Social infrastructure is a a very important piece of the investment that we need in this country, but it is, uh, you know, government is blind to it, which is why we have seen so many cutbacks over the last decade as a result of austerity because it has a very short-term perspective. And when I invented the current public expenditure system, we I moved out uh, capital in you know capital projects um, and kept them separate. And I think we need to uh, recognize that social infrastructure brings very long-term benefits in terms of social capital, intellectual capital, and health. Um, and I think that we need a, as I said, a very large fund which is created by the government, which probably includes an element of borrowing, maybe includes some special taxes, some hypothecated taxes specifically for this purpose, and puts together all the many pa- penny packet funds that we currently have, for example, you know, good things, you know, investing in arts, investing in youth services, uh, the Towns Fund, but bringing all of those together into a big fund, which can then be uh, given to to people locally to determine how to spend it. And based on a very broad definition of social infrastructure, which I think should include housing, should include services, but it should also include activities, spaces, green spaces, um, the social sector, uh, a very wide definition, but the decision should be taken at very local level. I'm not talking about combined authority level probably, that they will have a hand in it, but it's sort of very local level where people really know what they need. And I don't end up as has happened with many regeneration initiatives in the past with white elephants, which are just the things they don't need, but which Whitehall thinks that they do. So what do you think uh, that the Chancellor should be doing um, in the next spending review? Uh, on this and what kind of fun would you like to see in place?
1: Nicola, do you want to answer that one first?
4: Thank you. That's, it's really interesting and I totally agree. Some of the work that um, I've been doing is with the APPG for Left Behind Neighbourhoods, which has been really interesting to drill down on lots of really localised data of a particular ward in my constituency called Hately Heath, which is one of the most deprived wards in the country. Um, and I think understanding um, what some of the root problems are there um you know definitely in terms of social infrastructure is is really important and I'm not sure there's never really a um, a really quick or simple solution um you know like some of the some of the data we found for this this um the ward which is quite obvious it's not far from the town centre that actually transport infrastructure isn't that bad um so it's looking at what are the issues um really interesting that the amount of antisocial behaviour reported to police there is really low and that isn't because it isn't happening it's because it's not being reported so it's really interesting kind of drilling down into the um really localized um data about um people's lives in that particular area um to see some of the um you know what it is that we we can do to help um, part of the research showed that um, that we've got significantly fewer civic assets there which I think is something like half under half the civic a- assets um, than on a- average in the rest of England in this particular area so um, again it's not it's not easy to know what the solution is and what it is that the government can do to try and and fix um, a whole range of, of um, issues um, one of the things that I Um, have been campaigning on is to get um, a youth centre in the area and it was really tempting and I think the problem is the reason why it hasn't happened and the council are reluctant for it to happen is because they can't decide where it would go and there's always a kind of you know, everyone wants kind of wants it central in the town centre where it's easy to get to. Actually, it needs to be in an area like the one I've just discussed in Hayley Heath to provide opportunities and a safe place for young people to go. Um, And that's something that, you know, other organisations, if they exist, would do and they clearly don't. So, you know, I think the government's already put some funding into these things. And it's about to be honest where that funding goes to um if it goes to a local authority it should get to the right area um, in samwell i'm not always certain that it does um, so that's just kind of one of one of my views on on the issue but it's just it's it's very difficult to be able to pinpoint a particular policy um, that can fix um, some of these issues or where it where you know funding should be put into
1: Sure. Thank you. And uh, and um, Joe, do you, do you, I mean this is an idea that's been kicking around for a while, isn't it? That um, I think um, I think the twenty seventy commission actually is 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 in favour of a national pot, um, similar to what we saw in 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 Germany actually after the fall of the Berlin Wall, where they put in huge investment uh, to get East Germany up to speed. Um, do, do you agree, Joe? Would you like to see what would you like to see in terms so I, of um of funding that local areas can access?
3: So, I, I absolutely agree entirely with what, what Caroline said and, and, and Nicola. Um, and I think that maybe we, we we kind of think that the Share Prosperity Fund may in some way play a role in that. I think that there is a big challenge though, which Caroline quite rightly highlighted, which is how do you um, you know stop the piece the, the the departmental piecemeal funding of things where the there needs to be a holistic solution and it needs to be community-based so it doesn't sit in any one department and you know we had recently the example of of um food poverty you know that that i think has highlighted the fact that the public don't really understand um when government funds things in in circuitous routes shall we say um it, the public just doesn't understand what's happening um i think there's also a bigger issue i mean certainly i can speak um, locally in in staffordshire so um the third sector doesn't necessarily feel that um, at all times the local authority understands all the needs of of some of the areas that it works in uh, the LEP doesn't work very closely with the third sector uh, so you have people who've got solutions on the ground, and they don't necessarily um, have the understanding of the current funding channels. So I would like to see a new funding channel as well. And I think that that is core to being able to level up as to where the money sits. It needs to be ring fenced for a, a very broad agenda. But then if it sits in the local council and it's and it's and it's not ring fenced, then it'll go to pay for the things that the council couldn't pay for because it didn't have enough in its reserves. So I think it's a it's a it's a, a massive challenge, and if we can solve that, then we've really solved leveling up.
1: Okay. Um we're just running out of time slightly, so I'm gonna go quickly to Tony, Tony Smith, who is the head of strategic policy for the West Mid- Combined Authority. Um, uh, Tony, if you got uh, a, a point to make uh, to our panel and a question to ask? Um, yeah, very quickly, I just wanted to um, give a bit of a plug for a
7: piece of work that we've done at the Combined Authority um, for the Mayor, who's already had many mentions in this uh, conference. Um, basically, we've, we've done a submission ahead of the, um, the white paper that everyone's talked about on devolution which unfortunately has had to be put back to the new year but uh, obviously is still a key part of this agenda for us um, we called it devo next for the west midlands i'm going to put the the link in the chat so people can can go to it but it's, it's up there on the website um because i think that the document actually reflects a lot of the points that people have made today i, I think there are four Four key points there. The first really important one is this is not just about economics and infrastructure investment. I think everyone said that. Um, it's absolutely critical that we, we have a, a social aspect to levelling up as well as an economic one. Um, the second one is the point that Joe was making really strongly about communities and the importance of community empowerment. Um, and that, again, is reflected within uh, uh, within the next document. Um, thirdly, I think we're all saying devolution is critical to levelling up. I mean, basically you can't level up from the top down would be my argument. You have to empower local areas, local institutions, local communities to basically improve their own area uh, obviously with government support. Um, and then finally, I think there's, a, there's an issue here about towns and cities and city regions and um, you know, the position of places like Stoke, for example, And I think we fell into, particularly around the general election last year, a rather negative towns v cities sort of debate. And I'm hoping that the COVID thing has sort of knocked that on the head because obviously the cities are struggling um, from the effects of that, even more so than towns, with the impact on city centres. And I think what we all have to acknowledge is that towns and cities depend on each other and they're part of a, a bigger system. And we need to sort of level them all up together. So Next proposes um, what we're calling a whole system approach to devolution to places like the West Midlands. So it's not just the mayor and the combined authority, it's the local authorities as well, and it's down to, to communities. And we're talking about what we're calling double devolution and even triple devolution within the paper. Um, the, the question I wanted to leave you with is um, about the white paper is um, how serious do you think government is about carrying forward further devolution through the white paper? And how can we um, strengthen our arguments and make them as effective as possible to get across all the things
1: that the whole panel have been arguing for? Joe, do you want to answer that one? How, how serious is the government on this new white paper? Is it Has it been slightly diluted, We're here, I've heard, or do you think that uh, there is still that commitment there?
3: I, I'm afraid, as a new MP, I can't. I can't give you the answer to that. Um, I mean, clearly, that there there is a commitment to um, making sure that the money gets to the right place because that's part of our levelling up agenda. And and I do think that some very good points have been made today that that we haven't yet designed a model that is going to be effective to get it to the absolute grassroots community level that we all want to see supported.
2: So,
1: Nicola, do you think? Uh, on the white paper um what what is your uh, have you got a route of input into it i mean can you lobby for it's the things that you'd like to see go into it that's that that perhaps aren't in there um do you agree with well joe's point on is the money getting to where you need it for the for the youth centers and things in your constituency
4: i think like joe it's um Um, it's not something that I'm 100% sure sure on but like everything you know ministers are always open to listening to us especially um, you know new colleagues from areas like like mine Um, but I think in terms of what combined authorities um, can can do to make their point even stronger you know a lot of this work will have gone on pre-COVID and I think looking at looking at how devolution and further devolution could have benefited our response to COVID is a really good argument to make to government because, you know, we, we had local um, people and organisations on the ground um, in some areas before, um, before all of this happened that wouldn't have had, um, you know, any, um, any kind of power over um, health and um, health is um, a very strange and complex um, set of organisations in every area. There are so many different kind of overarching um, um, powers um, that I think that's an interesting argument to make and to look at how how further devolution could have helped um, in our COVID response um, and 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 going forward um, after um, COVID rebuilding communities.
1: Thanks, Nicola. um Just we've uh, quite a few questions that i'm not going to be able to ask them all but i'll try and uh get to a couple i had one that came in on my twitter which i'm going to ask um and it's on uh hs2 um there's been a lot of talk about hs2 being one of the big things uh that will help level up um uh the regions uh i know that nicola well I, i think she'll agree that that uh, that it does, uh, since it helps um, one of her most deprived areas, I think, connect it with, with London. Um, there There is opposition to HS2, but I think it looks like it's going ahead. How important is HS2? And is HS2 alone enough? Um, or do we need more around it? Do we need buses? Do we need local uh, commuter services? Um, uh, I'll go to Nicola first because she's already mentioned HS2, so I think it's important to her.
4: Thanks. Yeah, um, I think you know the argument that I made to the Prime Minister after being elected was that if we are really serious about levelling up, then there is absolutely no way we could have scrapped HS2 because it not only is a really key driver for investment in the West Midlands, um, but also a really clear sign that we are... Um, you know, we believe in in the West Midlands and Birmingham, and that we, um, you know, that we we are we're investing in it and the people there. And you know, HS2 on its own isn't the solution to everything, obviously, um, but and and it won't be a quick solution to anything. Um, but I think better connecting um, communities is always going to be um, a good thing, um, and um, you know, it comes alongside even further um expansion of the local um transport network that that andy was already working on and can go further so there's much more work to be done but it is you know the argument that i made at the time and still believe that it is such um it's such a clear indicator that that west midlands is on the up like we said right at the start you know when you um when you make communities feel like that and show them that it's happening it really helps with um general aspiration and, and, um, you know, the energy to kind of change their area.
1: Great, thank you Nicola, sorry I was going to go to Joe, but I think we're out of time, there's so many issues to discuss on on this fascinating subject, which is so important to to everybody, Um, and um, sorry if at times my connection was slightly unstable about 10 minutes ago, but I came back in. So thank you to all of you. Thank you to Joe, Nicola, uh, Kelly. Uh, Thank you to uh, David Willits, who was was, uh, insight into uh, taxation was quite interesting. Something that I've I've not really been thinking about. I think everyone's so focused on the now, we're not thinking about how it's gonna impact in in future. Um, So, and a huge thanks to the Center for uh, Progressive Policy. Um, for letting us have this discussion and no doubt I will be badgering Joe and Nicola uh, on the telephone in the near future uh, for stories of course Um, so thank you everybody and I hope you enjoyed it in the in
2: the audience thanks a lot thank you